Today's sermon is not shaped around sanctity of human life, although I will, I would like to speak to it for just a moment. You know, in the very opening pages of the scripture, we see this beautiful picture of God's creation, and in his own words, his account is, let us make man in our image. I will suggest to you, and there's a truth that we all need to hear, and that is that God values life and so much so that he decided to bring it into this world. Now that being said, I would also suggest that many of us in this room would recognize that at the time that we begin to believe that God gave us our very life, that we maybe realize that we didn't use our life the way we should have. And so that, that is something that I hope that will call us into understanding that God's life is sacred in, even in us. And regardless of the decisions you made up until now, no matter what has brought you to this moment, I hope and pray that as we consider on this day of the year, each year we give this one Sunday this opportunity to highlight the importance of this, that we encourage people to recognize the sanctity of life at every stage. That's not just the very young. We, we spend a lot of time with the young on this topic, but that's also with our senior adults. It's also with, with those that are, are sick in our number. This, we, we look upon every bit of our life. So if you're a teenager or an adult in this place, if you're a, if you're a senior adult, if, if you're thinking on the small children in the nursery, understand that every bit of it is part of what God has given us, and we're grateful for that. Amen. I hope that you'll be an encouraging voice in the life of others as we consider all of God's life sacred. Uh, this morning, we're going to just go straight from that into a, an opportunity for us to look to, to a passage of Scripture to speak to humility in our hospitality. So I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 14. While you're doing that, I want to describe a picture for you. It's an uncomfortable story for certain, um, and you know, those parties involved will, will remain unnamed for the sake of the story, but I was sitting at, a, at an event, and we were in the midst of a, of a group that was there to, to contemplate the, the greater work of a camp, and the camp in a, in a part of the past ministries that I have been a part of, and we were looking to gain support and some future dreams about it. And th there was some fundraising aspects to it and, and what have you. And in the midst of the, the event, there was food. And so people are being served and, and we've eaten and, and all these things. Well, there's also this other table that's off to the side. It's like some cake and some sweets and treats and stuff that are meant to be auctioned off, but they're not well labeled. Some of us knew this was what this was. I think m most of us knew this was what this was except for the one man that got up and took himself a slice out of one of those beautiful cakes. And before he could get back to his chair, one of the ladies, one of the organizers, hops up as if to correct his behavior. But what can you do now? The cake has been sliced. And so he takes the cake. I mean, because I, do I put it back? I mean, we should have take the frosting and glue this thing back together. What do we do? Ultimately, I think he was given leave. I think I just had to stop looking at it because it was so uncomfortable. I had to stop. I had to just look away. Okay, I can't look at this anymore. In the process, before I looked away, he went from his normal tone and shade of color to a bright red, to an uncomfortable place. And everybody is kind of looking at him like they can't stop looking at him. And that's why I kind of look away like, okay, Let's back to the speaker. Whatever's happening, let's stop. Well, this passage this morning really leans into this moment where it's like waiting to be invited. And one of the things that we do in hospitality at our church is, is that we hope we serve in such a way that people feel invited. 
Some people are waiting for an invitation. And so whatever it is we offer and whatever it is we do, we need to remind ourselves that not everybody will take for granted that they're invited. And not everybody should. You know, we've invited everybody, but not everybody knows that that's what it is. We have to tell them that. When you find Luke chapter 14, if you'll get to verse number 7 and you'll stand in honor of God's word. Verse 7 says this, So he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him to come and say to you, Give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will say, you will, excuse me, you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that when we come to Scripture, we're always, we're always challenged, really just checked in this moment to say, do we have the proper and right motives in the way that we approach the things that we're approaching? I pray, Lord, this morning that we would be forever challenged to look upon those whom we invite and those whom have invited us and we consider the measure of what to do and how to behave. Lord, so that we might reflect your image in their eyes. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. It's interesting, and it's really a two-part piece because there's the, he speaks to those who were invited and he speaks to the, to the inviter. And he measures this all out. And, and you know, this is not a discouragement. Fellowship is one of the benchmarks of church. So I want you to keep getting together with your peers and your friends and stuff. But I also want you to consider those whom are left out. And I, I want that to be a kind of a, the pace setter for this message is, is that we are cognitive that, that the fellowship that you are doing is encouraged the fellowship that you're not doing is also encouraged to be done. And so there's a big part to this. So, so as we begin to unpack this, I want you to look with me. And right off, I'll just give you point number one. And that is that Jesus teaches us in language and examples that we can understand. You know, this, this word parable pops up in Scripture, oftentimes giving us something for us to grab a hold of. These are word pictures. These are things that people will, will gravitate to. They'll understand them. You become enamored with, with the lessons that you remember. You know, one of the benchmarks of good public speaking, teaching, and preaching is, is that when you leave out of here, you'll remember anything. Most of what you hear, you'll forget. The grand majority of the things that you hear will just dissipate. You might think on it for a few minutes or even a few hours or even a few days. And so to get anything to stick is a huge part of this. And that's part of the reason Jesus used illustration. and He used parables. He taught lessons this way. And he does so so that we can understand, so that we remember it. We oftentimes remember the stories that Jesus teaches by the parables that he gave us because they give us such clear pictures. 
And so I hope this morning that you'll see some evidence that, that Jesus' teaching is meant to be one in an illustrative way that helps us to see it. He, he starts very, very plainly. He told the parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best place to saying to them. And he begins to immediately lean in to talk about this thing where he's like, look, I'm watching your behavior. You know, this is one of the neatest things as somebody who gets an opportunity to teach and to preach is that sometimes you get to watch and observe people's behavior and you can say, okay, so this is something we need to talk about now, right? And this is a hard part. You know, no, nobody in here is thinking back to themselves that they, can, they, they just wish they could sit at their parents' table and be scolded by their mother or their father about their table manners, right? But isn't that when you get taught about table manners is when you sit with your parents who are like, nope, don't do that. Sit up straight, hands in your lap. I'm the guy that is at the table with my hands here all the time. I learned recently this week that apparently there's a whole trend that they, people from other countries can pick Americans out because we lean on everything. And so, you know, if you want to see people, they say if you're going to be in the CIA, they have to train you to not lean on stuff. Because if you're going to travel internationally, they'll say, well, that's an American spy. But we learn from our parents all manner of things about how to behave, don't we? Anybody in here think to yourself that they have mastered all, all manner of manners? You're like the, the, the skilled person of manners? I know you're, it's a trap, right? You say, I can't raise my hand. If I have good manners, I can't raise my hand. Because I wouldn't want to call attention to myself. So let me do the other side. Anybody here feel like they have something to be desired when it comes to manners? You don't, don't have a clue? You're not very good at your manners? Man, come on now. You're in church, folks. All right. I know what I'm dealing with. I see. Jesus is teaching some basic manners, but he's not teaching the manner set of rules from Jewish culture because they know the manner set of rules from Jewish culture. He's teaching some manner rules from heaven. And he's like, look, the manners that you need to possess are important. In everyday language, when you are invited by anyone, man, there's a right way to behave, isn't there? You know, something that I, I saw in some of my in some of my coursework that I've done and some of the things that I've taught, there's, there's some driven lessons that I've used, use material or curriculum. One of the coaching each week that you tell your whole group is, okay, make sure you're a good guest, and when you're done, pick up your trash, clean up your area, make sure you take what you brought with you out. Don't leave it here for somebody else to worry about. I mean, I don't know about you, but you go to the movie theater, and you're like, there's two types of people, right? The obliterated scene with the trash, and you're like, I paid for this, I'm out of here, Right? And then there's the other person that's like gathering up every last little thing and they're like making sure they hit the, hit the trash can on the way out. Well, they wouldn't have to send the employees in if everybody was like that, would they? But they do. And so he's like, look, when, when you're invited by anyone, he says, and then he says a specific thing to a wedding feast, and this would have been high honor to be invited to a wedding feast. He says, do not sit down in the best place lest someone more honorable than you be invited by him. Now, point number two and, and to, the, to the magnitude of the, of the thought is, is that Jesus instructs us in every detail. He just instructs us in, in the fine points. I, and I love that when we come to these passages, sometimes we need to be corrected, and it's hard when we need to be corrected, but there are moments in correction that come, and we're like, well, Jesus is getting out ahead of it. And he's telling them because he sees what's happening. He's like, this needs to be worked on. And wouldn't you rather 
Wouldn't you rather hold on to a, a bit of instruction ahead of time than get there and have to get it there, right? I mean, I'm constantly, you know, thinking about the ways we could have done things better or the way that we could have approached things and even my own mannerisms and behavior. My wife will tell you that on our first date, I had impeccable manners. I was working really hard. I mean, I ate slowly, intentionally, and then it was like once we got into a relationship series beyond that point where I realized that we were in a relationship, it was like I turned into a caveman, whole chicken wing in and one bone out, and it was like she was like, what happened? And she's like, they're there. I know they're there. The manners are there. They are not applied regularly, not frequently. I have to be careful, don't I? We all need to work on these things. But Jesus is like this instruction of every detail. You ever wanted to, when people are like, why do we have to do this thing? And you're like, well, Jesus said right here, act right at the table. Some of the moms in here are like, told you. But I'm so grateful that the Scripture is filled with instruction about how to behave and where to behave and what to do. It gives us a clear benchmark to follow, a clear one. It goes on in verse number 9. He says, and he who invited you, him, become, him come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. And there's this, this picture of, of redistribution of, of real estate in the, in the room. And it's hard because, you know, there's an ebb and a flow and people don't oftentimes understand the magnitude of the, the careful thoughts or whatever. And there's, there's, there's supposed to be visual cues at weddings and stuff to help us understand where to sit and where not to sit and, and where to be and where not to be. And there's a, a measure in this that sometimes is lost on us because we don't do as much of the formal pieces as we once did. But Jesus is teaching us that there's an expectation in the presence of people of importance that there is a, a cadence and a rhythm to it whether we have whether we have watered it down too much or not, there's still an expectation. And he's like, and it can become very embarrassing carrying that piece of cake back to your seat because now you have to eat it. What if you don't like it? I mean, I can't imagine I did not watch him because I was too embarrassed for him. Anybody in here ever do that where they get embarrassed for somebody else? There's probably two types of people in this room, people that get embarrassed for other people and they get red too, or the people in this room that are like, that's embarrassing, and they think it's funny, and they keep watching the train wreck. I mean, you can decide. I couldn't watch him, but I know he's like, he's got the cake now, and I was like, I hope he ate every last stitch of it so the evidence was gone. Because the mingle time is going to be super weird. There's this moment in history, and, and you might be familiar with it. I don't know. Um, anybody ever, ever heard of a, of a guy by the name of, of Edwin Booth? Probably not. You're like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe some of you might be, yeah, did a whole paper on him. Edwin Booth is actually the brother of somebody pretty famous that you have heard of, John Wilkes Booth, right? John Wilkes Booth is known because he assassinated President Lincoln, right? Both of them were actors, by the way. Edwin Booth was this phenomenal um, actor up and coming and known and, and well-known throughout the, the community and the, the world. He was traveling and doing much stuff. Sometime before John perpetrated his crime on the president, there happens to be this interesting encounter that occurs. I'm going to read to you from the memoir of another man, and I'll tell you who he is after. It says, The incident occurred while a group of passengers were late at night purchasing their sleeping car places for the conductor, from the conductor excuse me, who stood on the station platform at the entrance of the car. 
The platform was about the height of the car floor, and there was, of course, a narrow space between the platform and the car body. Speaking of a train, by the way. There was some crowding, and I happened to be pressed by it against the car body while waiting my turn. In this situation, the train began to move, and by the motion, I was twisted off my feet, and I had dropped somewhat with feet downward into the open space and was personally helpless. Then my coat collar was vigorously seized, and I was quickly pulled up and out to a secure footing on the platform. Upon turning to thank my rescuer, I saw that it was Edwin Booth whose face was, of course, well known to me, and I expressed my gratitude to him, and in doing so, called him by name. Um, this event occurs sometime before John did his awful act. The man that he rescued was named Robert Lincoln. just happened to be the son of President Lincoln. He, he saves President Lincoln's son, unknowing who he was and unconcerned with the reward for it. Then his brother does an awful thing. And in doing so, his brother becomes infamous. I mean, obviously doesn't survive to tell the story, but, but Edwin then is completely dishonored and unable to perform or be invited to perform. The dishonor that he has given is not his own, but he, even though he bears a letter from one of the, one of the secretaries that worked directly with Grant, Ulysses S. Grant, he will not reveal it. He will not take honor from what he had done to excuse him of the dishonor his brother has given him. And you, you see this picture of shame in his family and this lowest place that he's been invited to take because of what his brother's done. But man, isn't it weird how these moments of history intertwine like this? That the man who was responsible for saving the president's son was also the brother of the man who would kill the president. And this is, this is how these things are tied together in understanding the magnitude of the way life goes forward. Verse 10 in Scripture says, But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. And this is famous teaching, and we talk about this. And this is not Brother Ben asking you for false humility. This is Brother Ben encouraging you for real humility. Moments by which we realize that, that if everybody in here esteemed others, as the Scripture says, higher than themselves, then what we would see is that the service on the tables out there, the volunteer situations, would, would fill in naturally, and people would be looking earnestly for a place just to be at the table and the summary of this teaching, this, this beautiful teaching, is that there's this, this paradox, and, and I, I summarized it in point number three for your note-taking this morning, is that there's an opportunity in life that you can be given honor, or you can take dishonor, and oftentimes by seizing the thing we think is belonging to us, we, we, we dishonor ourselves, but if we just are patient, we can oftentimes be honored just in the giving of honor by others who would invite us up. And so there's a moment by which we struggle with these things. We struggle with where we fit in. You know, there's much has been said in our culture and our current, current climate about privilege. And I would suggest to you there is indeed an abundance of privilege in the, in the measure of the hierarchy of people. But that, that being said, I, I'm not about cancel culture either, so we see this moment. 
But Jesus is clearly talking about somebody who is waiting to be recognized in their privilege so they don't get canceled. If I could play on the modern phraseology. And in so doing, there's this, this insane sort of unfolding of how we should behave. Now, it's really awkward when a lot of Christians start to really hold on to this because it's like, would somebody just make a decision? Would somebody just go sit down? You know, no, you first, no, you first, no, you first, no, you first. I mean, it's like, come on. But we see this picture, right? And there's something that should be said, and, and I will say this very bluntly to you. This is something that we need to teach our children and that we ourselves need to learn so that, so that the, the future generations in front of us will not lose all sensation of it because I feel like it is slipping away. A humility that desires something. Did you know there was a time and space in, in, our, in our recent space of, of history where people would not have said the many things that they have said? Man, we have lived it this week, have we not? People with their digital courage about all the things that they're upset about. I dare I mention water, right? Let's be invited to sit down at the foot of the table before we cry out. Let's do this as a community of believers in this place first. Let's look to the moment and say, if somebody had asked me my opinion, I would have told them. But since nobody has asked me, what gives me the right? Let me challenge you to be humble. Think not on what you do not have, but on what you've had every day up until now or on the moments in between the failures. Think on being invited to that to that reliable substance on a regular basis and if you look statistically at it at the majority of time look on these things I know that's completely off script this morning God must have wanted you to hear it so that being said let's delve into the last little bit because it gets exciting here in my opinion verse number 12 if I've still got your attention and he also said to him who invited him notice he's shifted now from the invitees to the invitor it says, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. Now, I've already highlighted, Brother Ben has already said this, that I believe that the fellowship that we, that we currently have is important. That being said, if that's all you have, Jesus is teaching us that we should have more than that. And he's teaching us to be cautious about not just living in that lane. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. There's this beautiful passage, and I got a chance. I've been teaching through First and Second Samuel, and it's all one continuous work in my understanding. Um, two separate scrolls, but one continuous work. And so we're in Second Samuel, and there's a beautiful chapter in there. One of the stories that I love most um, throughout the thread, um, Mephibosheth. And I talked about it. I did it. spent a whole, a whole Wednesday night on it, and so... Um, it's not recorded, so you'll just have to figure out next time Brother Ben's going to teach on it if you want to hear what I have to say about the matter, unless you want to just have coffee. But in the story, I'll give you Cliff's notes here. That's not a thing anymore. Sparks notes, right? Um, I'll give you the, 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 the Reader's Digest for those of us that are older. David wants to honor his relationship with Jonathan. Jonathan's been dead for some time, and he, he says, is there anyone of, of this household that I can honor? Now, Jonathan was Saul's son, and he invites Mephibosheth to his table. This is the, the, the son of Jonathan that still exists in the world. The only reason he probably still exists is because when they heard the news of his, of his father and his, his grandfather's demise, he, he was dropped or fell and, and he, he maimed himself. He was lame, broken in his legs. He couldn't walk, not properly anyway. 
So it was probably excluded, therefore, from all military action and any necessity of doing anything else. Also probably excluded from the possibility of being an heir to the throne because he's not perfect. David reaches out and invites him to his table. And he tells him that he's welcome to sit at his table and he would eat at the king's table for the rest of his life. And in this story, I take a great deal of seriousness because I realize that I don't have any right to be at the king's table. I, because of my own waste of my own life, as I alluded to when we talked about it in the, in the segue between Sanctity of Life and Now, have wasted a portion of my life that should exclude me from any right to be at the king's table whatsoever. And yet here I am invited to be at his table. And I look at Mephibosheth and I think to myself, man, I am somebody who when his grand design is to have a wedding for his son, invites me to the table and I get to come. I'll be happy to sit wherever he points. points. Because, you know, the fascinating piece about Mephibosheth is, is that David doesn't just invite him to dinner. He takes care of him for the rest of his life. He makes Ziba serve. He makes Ziba's household serve and to take care of the land. He gives him back what his, what his grandfather owned which was a great deal because he was king over Israel. You are entitled to nothing, but you are invited to something so far beyond your wildest imagination. And if you would but value it the right way, you would realize that when you go to invite people in, you ought be thinking of them as deserving of your invitation, not because of their merit, but because of your love. And that's where we sit with God. We get invited into the table because of his love. You know, I don't know how many times, and, and I realize that you're probably to this place where you're thinking, man, we, we, we have heard a great deal already, but bear with me here. I, I share one final story with you, and, and before I do that, you know, I will, I'll give you point number four because I don't want to forget it, and I feel like it'll interrupt the story if I try to do it after. Our target isn't, re, you know, repayment from our peers. That's point number four. You should never be doing something for reciprocity that being said, I'm reminded of when I was a young pastor. The very first church that I pastored out of college, the one that called me to be their pastor in my early 20s, and there were a great many neat opportunities in that church for me to grow and to become and to do. One of the, one of the most humbling moments in my life was having a grandmother come, and she sat in our church for many weeks, and then she, she finally worked with the courage to come to me and ask me, if she could ask me a question about her grandchildren. She was caring for her grandchildren. She said, well, my, my granddaughter wants to be baptized. I said, well, that's exciting. She goes, her brother wants to be baptized as well. But the church we came from, the pastor told us that he wasn't a candidate for baptism because of his limitation, his special needs. I, I'm, I, I can remember, but I, I don't want to put a finger on it, but I will tell you this. He couldn't speak. Like, I mean, he could, he could communicate, but he didn't, he didn't form words the way that we would expect. So sitting down with the sister was simple. It was easy. Do you know who Jesus is? Yeah, Jesus is God's son. Do you know what Jesus did for you? Yeah, he died on the cross for my sins. What happened to him after he died on the cross? Well, he came back from the dead. God brought him back. And do you now follow him? I do follow him. And you want to tell the world that? I want to tell the world that. But you're a candidate for baptism. That's easy. It's easy. I've had that conversation so many times I can't count it. The little boy sitting next to her, he wants the same thing. The funny thing about it is his grandmother said she labored over understanding what he wanted. 
But he finally convinced her that this is what he wanted. And she was nervous that I would tell her the same thing that the pastor before me had told her, that he wasn't a candidate because of his special needs, because of his inability to articulate it. So I said, let me just ask him some questions. And so I just rephrased the way that it worded. Do you know who Jesus is? And that's the vigorous nod on his face, yes. And do you know what Jesus did for you? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? Yes. And through the whole story, he is with me, and the, and the emotion on him was overwhelming. We had the opportunity to baptize him and his sister, and it was a, just a, a moment in my history, but I look back on it now, and I look at this, this story, and I think to myself, isn't it amazing how in the Bible there are examples, beautiful examples of how people who can't see clearly see Jesus? People who can't speak praise him. People who can't hear clearly hear the word of God, the voice of God in their midst of their life. And those who can't walk, they run to him from their heart. And how we who have the full of our faculties won't do any of it. We are invited to a table we don't belong at. We have been invited by somebody of much higher honor than us. Jesus has always remembered us when it comes time to invite us to his table and he's telling the rest of us to do the same. They don't deserve to be here. All the more reason to invite them. We're going to stand and we're going to have an invitation. And I, I want to give to you this, this opportunity to run, to come to him, to praise him. This hospitality in this moment. I'm going to invite Brother Alex. He's going to come. It's his first Sunday. He's going to stand here as well with Ted and me. After I pray, if you want to come and just be prayed for, just want to talk to, to me about something in your life, about knowing this Jesus who died on the cross for our sins, would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house, an opportunity to, Lord, just, Lord, just say thank you for being invited to the table. Lord, just a little small corner was enough for me, just, a, just an opportunity to see the, the dinner would be outstanding. I can't tell you how much I want to thank you for that opportunity. I pray that each and every one of us in this place express the same desire. Lord, now I believe is an opportunity for us to run to you, for us to praise you, for us to, to cry out about you, to invite others. We ask, Lord, that we would respond how you would have us respond at your invitation to come now. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.